Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I am an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My co-host is my friend Sean. Good morning. And today we are discussing chapter 19 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. This is chapter 1 of volume 2. In this chapter, it's Sir Thomas's first evening at home. The Crawfords leave. Mr. Yates does not leave. Sir Thomas looks for Fanny. Sir Thomas runs into Mr. Yates, which is possibly the funniest scene in the entire book. And then Sir Thomas shuts down the acting. (laughs) But in such a gentlemanly way. He's so polite to everybody. Despite the fact that they've got stuff in his room, they've moved his things, they've put holes in the walls. And even when Mr. Yates is talking shit at him, he's like, "Uh uh-huh. Hmm, that's nice. Thank you. He's polite the entire time. Visualising the gobsmacked expressions on the kids' faces. <laughs> it's so uncomfortable. It's referred to as absolute horror. That's who Thomas is home. The most unwelcome, most ill-timed, most appalling. Mr Yates considers it a vexatious interruption for the evening. Mr. Rushworth imagines it a blessing, but everybody else is sinking under some degree of self-condemnation or undefined alarm. They know damn well. They know exactly what they have been doing. They all know they've been wrong, except Mr. Yates and Mr. Rushworth. Even the Crawfords know. They're making themselves very scarce. And Julia, who has come to give them this unwelcome news turns on her heel and walks out when she sees that Mariah and Henry Crawford are still very close. He has not dropped Mariah's hand, which you may not think is a big deal, but actually it's very inappropriate for them to be touching. Particularly when she's engaged and her fiancé's in the room. So the children go to see their father and Mr. Rushworth, like a little puppy, is going, should I go too? What should I do? And Mr. Crawford sends him on his way. Fanny is left with her agitation and alarm exceeded all that was endured by the rest, by the right of a disposition which not even innocence could keep from suffering. She knows she hasn't done anything wrong, but she still feels guilty. And she has to overhear. They are saying in front of her, Mr. Yates and the Crawfords are bitching about Sir Thomas having returned without any mercy, wishing poor Sir Thomas had been twice as long on his passage or were still in Antigua. That's a disgusting thing to say. And in front of his niece, no one notices Fanny. As somebody else mentioned, the, the piece of furniture. Except that's not true, as we hear as the chapter goes on. The Crawfords leave. Fanny eventually goes to the drawing room and stands outside the door trying to gather her courage, which is quite sweet. But then her uncle is so happy to see her. Joy and his manner being changed. All that had been awful in his dignity seemed lost in tenderness. He's just so happy to be back with his family, which is really beautiful. And it sucks that they ruin it for him. He's making it absolutely clear in this chapter that she is part of his family. And she's not felt that before from Mm -hmm. him. He specifically asks after the rest of her family, especially William. And she reproaches herself for loving him so little and thinking his return a misfortune. This is the only bit where we hear her thinking his return a misfortune, though. Again, because she's so aware of the others. She doesn't want to think badly of Edmund. So not a misfortune to herself, but it's an unfortunate time perhaps for others that this is when he's turned up. He's referred to as the life of the party. Which is the last description one would ever have described to him previously. 
he's very dignified. But he, he is so joyous to be home, which does beg the question of his experience in Antigua. must have been very, it's a long journey. Foreign country. Hostile, then going through revolutions. And that awareness about the slavery, which we... That probably was not pleasant to witness. No. Lady Bertram is so happy to see him. She began particularly to feel how dreadfully she must have missed him and how impossible it would have been for her to bear a lengthened absence. But when he was gone, she didn't miss him that much. But now he's back, she's so genuinely happy. It makes me think she actually loves him. Well, I wonder whether she's seeing in his return here the young man he was before he had responsibilities, the things that really attracted her to him. I thought it was just his money. We don't actually know, though, do we? We don't know. And we've made this assumption about the money. Mm. But we're seeing his reaction there is so different from that normal, dignified persona. If you let your imagination go, you could imagine that this is the kind of person he was, lively, interesting. Before he had all of that responsibility Before on top all of them. Because he is the head of a family and an estate, and he's in politics. And she doesn't step up which gives him more work. He's not blind to that. Mrs Norris isn't happy. Not that he's home, because the manner he returned home, it left her nothing to do. How dare he come home and not warn her that he was coming? She had always depended whether his arrival or his death were to be the thing unfolded, that it would be her who knew first. She was now trying to be in a bustle without having anything to bustle about and labouring to be important where nothing was wanted but tranquility and silence. And she breaks in in the middle of a really interesting story he's telling. She just likes Mr Yates later, cannot leave the room. <laughs> Lady Bertram brings up the acting, and then Tom quickly changes the subject to hunting. Yes. And it describes Fanny's sick feelings at this. She knows what's coming. And then, unfortunately, Sir Thomas says that he wants to go to his room. But fair enough, he hasn't been in his own space for quite some time. And then happens the funniest scene in the entire book. He goes into his room, he looks around and goes, things have changed. Oh, I can get through that door now. What is that noise? Someone's ranting. Walks out onto the stage, just about gets smacked in the face by Mr. Yates, who is ranting as the Baron. And then Tom walks in at the other end of the room and witnesses Mr. Yates transform from being Baron Wilderheim to Mr. Yates. It would be the last, in all probability, the last scene on that stage, but he was sure there could not be a finer. Poor Tom is trying not to laugh. Sir Thomas is disappointed. Sir Thomas refers to Mr. Yates as another particular friend, one of the hundred particular friends of his son. And he looks around at what they've done at the theatre. He asks after his billiard table... And then he goes back to the drawing room and there's an increase of gravity. So he's returning back to him, his former self. And then Mr. Yates decides to talk and talk and talk and talk about the theatre. And Sir Thomas finds much to offend his ideas of decorum and confirm his ill opinion of Mr. Yates. Mr. Yates is completely so blind in interest as to make him not only unconscious of the uneasy movements of many of his friends as they sat. This is perfect picture. The change of countenance, the fidget, the hymn of unquietness, that he doesn't even see Sir Thomas's face just drawing down. Fanny pulls her chair back behind her aunt's chair. 
saw all that was passing before her. She's very clearly, you can see her as an observer here. There's a beautiful little bit where Sir Thomas looks at Edmund, doesn't say a word, Fanny can read what he's saying. On your judgment, Edmund, I depended. What have you been about? She knelt in spirit to her uncle. It's so dramatic. She's doing a play in her own head. And her bosom swelled to utter, Oh, not to him. Look so to all the others, but not to him. That's a drama in itself. She's become infused by the spirit of that whole play. Mr Yates continues uh, at length. We bespeak your indulgence, you understand, as young performers. And Sir Thomas says, basically, you can have my indulgence, but there's not going to be any more acting. Then he asks about the Crawfords. And Mr Rushworth steps in to say that Mr Crawford is short. You need to know that he's short. Don't say he's a gentleman-like man. Your father will think he's quite tall, and he's not. He couldn't be above five foot eight inches. Sir Thomas is like, what is going on? These are the two young men that my children are associating with. Then Mr Rushworth puts himself back into Sir Thomas's favour by saying that I think we are a great deal better employed sitting comfortably here amongst ourselves and doing nothing rather than acting. The juxtaposition of employed and sitting doing nothing is quite funny. Sir Thomas knew he must not expect a genius in Mr Rushworth and he intended to value him highly. By saying scarcely anything, Mr Rushworth did his best towards preserving Sir Thomas's good opinion a little longer. It's true, the sooner he becomes known to Sir Thomas, the sooner Sir Thomas is going to say, what are you doing with my daughter? Why did she choose you? He definitely recognised that they're not a good match. Poor Sir Thomas, what a welcome home. And he truly is so pleased to see them. And to see them all there, because it's true, Tom is hardly ever home. But all of them are there. Like, they could have planned it, but then also other people are there. Which in itself is not a bad thing. But what they were doing, if they were having a quiet night and Tom had some friends over playing billiards with the young men, that would have been perfectly reasonable. Sir Thomas might have quietly rolled his eyes and left them to it. But you're walking into your own house and saying that construction has been done? He's very polite about that. My friend Christopher Jackson, the builder, has done good work. I think that's a very polite thing to say rather than who gave you permission to put holes in my walls? It is still my house, just because I was away for a year. And also, he talks about him being his friend. He does, which is very sweet. Because he knows Mr Jackson wouldn't have done anything in the house without the permission. When we discussed this in our reading group, one of the people referred to Fanny as furniture. And we made a joke that we were going to make sweatshirts or t-shirts that say Fanny as furniture. It's an interesting concept, actually, because she's always in the room, but she's never an active participant. She is treated like a piece of the furniture. She's used. Yes. Like you would use furniture. I mean, you wouldn't use furniture to run lines with you, but Fanny is more of an object than a fully formed person in their minds. I think it's a hilarious scene, Sir Thomas and Mr Yates. I think maybe the 1980s version has that, but it's not really funny. But then during the 80s, the adaptations that they did were a little bit stilted. A modern adaptation could do it quite well, potentially. You look at the 1999 version of Mansfield Park, which is very different. 
and makes the undertones of slavery explicit, they could have potentially done it quite well, quite comedically. I think what I'm hearing as you're reading it aloud, which I've not picked up before, there's a very strong vein of humour throughout the book. And that's really the pinnacle of the humour. But there is that sense of ridiculous all the way through the caricature you Mrs. Norris and, and so forth. So you have this combination of seriousness but real humour that I think we do tend to lose. I mean, Mr. Yates and Mr. Rushworth, they are ridiculous characters. The mendaciousness of Mr. Crawford, who's just trouble. I'm sorry, I know people really like him and think Fanny could have redeemed him, but... No one should ever be put in a position where they have to make someone better. You can't make somebody better. They have to want to be better on their own. You know, maybe 10 years' time he'll realise he might become a good man, but by then he's done too much damage. But he's so inconsiderate. Although Mr Yates is just wonderfully obtrusive. It's so funny that he cannot see what's going on right in front of him. And nobody can shut him up. No. You can imagine the dawning horror on Tom's face listening to his friend. And then, of course, you're going to have Julia being quite self-righteous. I didn't do anything wrong. Even Fanny was actually taking part. And that is our summary of Chapter 19 of Mansfield Park by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me. But if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice Heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!